G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our grand final review episode and a hearty congratulations to the Melbourne Football Club having broken a 57-year premiership drought in absolutely smashing style over in Perth against the Western Bulldogs. We're here to break down the game in full detail, discuss what it means and uh, have a little bit of fun as well. Of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, a good afternoon to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. History made finey and another football fairy tale written. Rowan, Melbourne, for 57 years, the club, their supporters, went without. And boy, did they, with a an exclamation mark, put that to rights on Saturday night. I mean, more power to them. Because they were, not only did they win the flag, their 13th, but they also go down in history for the most paralysing burst in a grand final. It won't be forgotten. That was a memorable, memorable way to win a premiership, Rowan. It was amazing stuff. In fact, uh, seven, and we will talk about this in detail, obviously, seven goals in about 15 minutes, end of the third quarter, right up there. Uh, There's been a bit of debate about other grand final bursts. Uh, Carlton, in that famous 1970 comeback, I think kicks seven in about 12 minutes at the start of a third quarter. Essendon in 84, uh, four in eight minutes, and then another five in about 10 minutes after a a bit of a uh, break in between. But uh, concentrated burst, there's certainly never been a burst of 16 out of 17 goals. It was remarkable stuff. We're here to talk about it in great detail. Of course, none of this would be possible without our other wonderful partners, Fanny. Who are they? Well, Andrew's Hamburgers. Let's start with the best burger in town. They've been around for 83 years, so they've seen every premiership. They've withstood all premiership droughts. In fact, if you live in Melbourne and you haven't been able to get to Andrew's, that's a drought you can break as soon as lockdown is over at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. We thank them for their support wonderful support through this great footy season and likewise West Point Properties with Nick Spartels and the team building great houses, great renovations right in the heart of inner southeastern Melbourne, Albert Park, Middle Park, South Melbourne, Port Melbourne. Boy, they're beautiful builds, Rowan. And ditto, our other official partner, Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst, In the business, they work with a range of more than 15 sports across the globe. They sample an event 10,000 times to best understand the range of possible and probable outcomes. 
not just that though, some very fine independent sports journalism on the website, all free to you. So check it out at statsinsider.com.au. And while you're at it, give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Well, the big one has been run and won. And we are going to go through the game chronologically, quarter by quarter, and break down exactly how this amazing result transpired. Well, always much interest in how a grand final starts. Sometimes they're full on, sometimes they're tentative. Um, But this one was pretty even early on until Melbourne hit the scoreboard. It was six and a half minutes into the game, the first goal was scored. And that was a beautiful kickoff about one step from Christian Petrarca from 50 metres. Certainly a sign of things to come. He was busy early, so was Clayton Oliver. And Bailey Fritch followed up not long after, um, after a long kick to the goal square from Tom Sparrow, which Fritch marked basically on the goal line. Um, Melbourne already looking pretty good. The marks at that stage, 12 to 2, finally. Uh, the Bulldogs found something, though. Rourke Smith flew for a big mark and uh, then regained his feet and ran into an open goal. Um, and about midway through the quarter, Melbourne by eight points, two goals to one. Uh, looked like we were in for a pretty titanic struggle. The early portion of that game, Rowan, was important because we know that the Bulldogs really stamped themselves early in that win over Port Adelaide. And there was a lot of talk about the Bulldogs being great starters and how their record revolved a lot around being the first out of the boxes. So for Melbourne to gain the early ascendancy was really important. And I think you said it beautifully with important of things to come. There were a couple of nipples at goal by the Demons, but when Christian Petrarca grabbed that ball, well, you sort of felt that, all right, we don't have Dustin Martin this year. Maybe we've got Christian Petrarca. It was one of those, I've got the ball, I'm going to kick the goal, let's get on with the bloody business. And it really stamped a very early authority on the game by number five for Melbourne, didn't it? Well, pretty even, Stephen, at that stage. Uh, it was Melbourne who kicked the only other two goals of the first quarter, though. And as much as the goals themselves, it was the way they were kicked, which I think... Um, it, <laughs> It didn't hint at what was to come because this was a game of massive, unprecedented uh, turnarounds. But in retrospect, you look at how these two goals were scored and it's pretty symbolic of how Melbourne won the game. The first was a uh, dribble kick from Paul Spargo, but that came after the Bulldogs were attempting to clear the lines and Cosie Pickett put some serious heat on the Bulldog defence The ball was turned over to Luke Jackson and his handball found Spargo running into the open goal. Uh, Pretty tight angle, but he managed to dribble that through cleverly. Um, That put the Demons up by 14 points. And then at the uh, nearly the 22-minute mark, another clanger from the Bulldogs, and that was a drop mark from Bailey Williams, uh, just slipped through his hands. Bailey Fritch standing behind him. Uh, accepted the spills gratefully, wheeled onto his right foot and kicked another one. And that put the Demons up by 19 points, which in the context of a grand final finding, and particularly that early, is a pretty meaningful advantage. Yeah, I feel for Bailey Williams. That's two mistakes he made. He was the one that spooned the ball after that pressure from Cosie Pickett. It was a handball to Williams and he... 
could only manage sort of spooning it up to Ben Brown, who got the ball out to Spargo. And Spargo actually had a couple of handball options, but took it upon himself to kick the goal. And as you say, then a chance for Bailey Williams to make amends and he dropped a mark that he never would drop. Hard start for him. He made up ground later in the game. He didn't have a mare, but that was a terrible start. DeRay was fumbling early as well, Rowan. And all of a sudden, this Bulldogs back line, which, well, you don't make grand finals by having a back line that fluffs its lines almost every opportunity, but it was really nervous times, wasn't it? Certainly was. And uh, the quarter time siren saw Melbourne with a very handy 21 point lead, four goals, five to one goal, two. At quarter time, Clayton Oliver, 13 disposals, uh, as busy as ever. Christian Petrarca, uh, 10 disposals and that opening goal. Christian Salem, busy off halfback with nine. And Bowie had had eight. Max Gorn also pretty mobile around the ground. He'd had seven for the Bulldogs. Caleb Daniel was providing heaps of drive off halfback. He had a dozen disposals at the first break. 12 to Josh Dunkley and 10 to Jack McRae. Prolific as ever. But we went to the first change of the 2021 Grand Final, Melbourne holding a 21-point lead, four goals, five, to the Bulldogs, one goal, two. Could the Doggies find something? Well, as it turned out, they found something and a bit more. Well, the gauntlet thrown down to the Western Bulldogs had to respond quickly, and did they ever? They had their second goal on the board in under a minute, and that was a clever slap, uh, slap snap from Adam Trelaw about 25 metres out, under a bit of pressure, managed to uh, find a bit of space to get the ball onto his right boot, 43 seconds into the quarter. That pulled the gap back to 15 points. At the four-minute mark, that gap became 10 points when Trelaw bobbed up again with his second goal. Very similar sort of goal. Bit of pressure on, front of the pack, got the spills onto his right foot and for about the same distance, put that through. Uh, The ball went back to the centre. The Bulldogs attacked again and gold again. Now the margin was just four points. Aaron Norton, uh, unusually for him, kicking a goal not from a mark, but uh, in general play, um, he picked up pretty cleverly and again on the right foot, threaded one through. And the sum total of that was that just five minutes into the quarter, the Bulldogs had kicked three goals and Melbourne's lead had been slashed to just four points and it looked like the doggies were coming hard finding. Things were very, very different early in that second quarter. And the first thing that was noticeable was the midfield. The balance of power was starting to change. Bontempelli, fairly quiet in the first quarter, starting to have some effect on the game. Liberatore, a clearance or two. Bailey Smith hands on the ball, but most importantly, Adam Trelaw getting forward of the play and kicking those two goals. Now, here's another problem that started to rear its head for Melbourne. Was Stephen May fit? Because there were a couple of moments in that first five or six minutes of the second quarter when it looked like he was struggling to keep up with the play and he was going to ground pretty quickly. Big question marks. And all of a sudden, the doggies are very comfortable in the game. Well, it was now Melbourne's turn to find something. Ben Brown bobbed up with his uh, first goal of the game 
on the lead in front and uh, found by Luke Jackson, Melbourne, out to a nine-point lead again. And uh, five minutes of subsequent play, back and forth, couple of opportunities for each. But then the Bulldogs found another burst, couple of quick goals. The first of the game to Marcus Bontempelli, who just was superb in that second quarter. And he reduced the gap to four points again. Lockie Hunter was next on the board and he put the dogs in front for the first time in this game, a free kick, uh, a high tackle from uh, Spargo. And that put the doggies up by two points. Another period of uh, waxing and waning, both sides fighting hard for the advantage. Easton Wood um, hurt his hand and that looked like it might be a serious loss to the doggies. He did recover and come back on. However, a chance to the Demons, Alex Nilborn kicked a point. But after about 12 minutes in this back and forth, and with only about 30 seconds left on the clock, that man Bontempelli bobbed up again. A big mark in front of the pack. He converted that, and it was the Bulldogs going to half time with an eight-point lead, seven goals five to five goals nine. An amazing quarter from Bontempelli. I think it was uh, nine or ten disposals in that second term. Two goals, a uh, couple of centre bounce clearances, fantastic leadership from the front. And uh, I reckon at half time, finally, if you were framing a market on the Norm Smith medal, uh, the Bont probably would have been your man. You bet he would have been. That second quarter, first of all, his two goals were very similar. Both courageous marks in front of a big pack but he's known for that. It's a trademark. What he's less known for is kicking set shot goals. He's all right on the run. In fact, he's great on the run, but he has had some problems with set shots. What steady nerves. And that really, to me, sign of a champion kicking those two goals. Now, who can run with Bontempelli? It's the Bulldogs that have got the deep midfield row. And so at half time, Simon Goodwin has to ask himself the question, do I make a player accountable or do I Bontempelli accountable by putting somebody closer to him? It's a big question that needs to be answered by the coach. And of course, they need to somehow find a way to get goals on the board because it's now a quarter and oh, five or so minutes and they've only kicked one goal, Rowan. Well, he uh, would have been looking pretty closely at the stats too, because uh, probably the most significant from a defensive point of view was that the Bulldogs in that second quarter only had 11 inside 50s, but they scored nine times. So that was a strike rate of 83%. Melbourne's defence this year, a clear number one for conceding the fewest scoring opportunities per inside 50, going at 35%. So that clearly needed to be fixed up. But again, the inside 50s, was this a product of too much easy midfield ball to the opposition or did the defence need to be tightened up? That was something the Demons had to ponder. And, well, well, how uh, did you feel, Rowan? What did you feel was wrong with the Demon defence heading into that half-time break? I felt it was more about the ease with which the Bulldog midfield were getting inside the 50 as much as the defensive organisation. So uh, that was a bit of a plus for the Demons because probably mm. a bit easier to curb that than if your defence is disorganised. Things that get a bit more serious yet for the Demons at the start of a third quarter. Let's have a look at what happened. 
So the second half begins, the Bulldogs leading by eight points, obviously Melbourne needing to find an answer. Bailey Fritch hit the post. And then just two and a half minutes in, the Bulldogs attack. And Jason Johannesson takes an absolute screamer on the goal line, converts from a tight angle. And suddenly the Bulldogs are leading by 13 points. The next five or 10 minutes looked like they were going to be pretty crucial. No one scored, in fact, for the next 10 minutes. But then that man, Bontempelli, again, for about 40 metres out, picks up the ball, wheels onto his left foot and curls a beautiful snap home. His third goal of the game, Western Bulldogs now leading by 19 points, having kicked eight of the last nine goals. And after another three or so minutes of play, we had elapsed. The We'd gone past the halfway mark of the third quarter, the Bulldogs leading by 19 points. Gee, it didn't look like uh, this game was far off being broken and the Bulldogs on their way to a triumphant flag win, Finey. Rowan, Melbourne are in trouble at this point. Bulldogs are winning the ball and getting it forward of centre and looking dangerous on most occasions. Johannesson starting to play well. We haven't seen Waitman yet, but he could spark up at any moment. And we're certainly getting something out of Bontempelli. Now, just get Norton on board and things could be a disaster for Melbourne because at this point, Tom McDonald, he's basically a, a washout, isn't he? He's, he's providing nothing. Cosie Pickett hasn't provided enough. Spargo, after his goal, has barely been seen. I mean, to be honest, Melbourne looked... When, when the ball was in the Bulldogs' forward line, it looked a very, very long way from Melbourne scoring. It just seemed a long way home at that point, Rowan. It did, absolutely. And then it happened. It just happened rather unexpectedly. So, 16 and a half minute mark, Bailey Fritch finds an answer. Uh, there is eight minutes 40 left on the third term clock at this stage to pull the Bulldog uh, lead back to 13 points. We'll look back on this as a really significant passage of play though. Jack Viney bulldozed his way through a cluster of players to free up James Harms. Uh, he was able to break into the clear and uh, sent at a beautiful angle, a beautiful pass to Fritch leading from the far forward pocket. Fritch got on the lead, took an easy mark and converted the lead back to 13 points. From an ex-centre bounce, a clearance from Christian Petrarca, who was about to rattle off one of the great quarters individually in grand final history. From that clearance, Fritch flew at the back for a big mark. Didn't get it but regained his footing, turned around and ran into an open goal, dribbling one through. That's two goals in a minute and 15 seconds. The Bulldog lead now down to seven points. From virtually the next centre bounce clearance, it was the next centre bounce clearance, Petrarca again running out of a square unimpeded. Ben Brown takes a mark about 30 metres out, converts. Western Bulldogs now lead by just one point, seven and a half minutes left in the quarter. Five minutes of back and forth, a critical five minutes. Melbourne and the Bulldogs both defending well until the Demons drove forward again. Angus Brayshaw, after a hurried kick uh, further afield, takes a diving mark about 45 metres out on a fairly tight angle. 
he converts with four minutes and eight seconds left in the third quarter. Melbourne hits the front again. The Demons in front by five points. Four minutes, 50 seconds after that, the Demons attacking again. Christian Petrarca, on the tightest of angles, turns into Peter Dacos. He dribbles one through from about 25 metres out. Melbourne, now 12 points in front. Now, Petrarca kicks that goal. There are just 47 seconds left on the clock. I'm still looking at this and wondering how on earth it happened. Melbourne kicked three goals in under a minute of playing time. It goes back to the centre. Petrarca, again, wins the centre bounce clearance. Tom Sparrow, beautiful long kick from outside 50, shepherded through by Tom McDonald. Melbourne, now 18 points in front, under 20 seconds left on the clock. Incredibly, they go again. There's another centre bounce clearance. Luke Jackson finds Clayton Oliver in the, in the clear with a handball. Oliver bangs one through, and there's still 15 seconds left on the clock. Four centre bounce clearance goals for the quarter. Melbourne go to three-quarter time with a 24-point and potentially match-winning lead. Seven goals in 15 and a half minutes. It was just unbelievable stuff, Finey. Won't forget it in a hurry. This was devastating football. Superb. I just want to highlight a couple of players. That kick by Harms to Fritsch was magnificent, as was the earlier kick in the first quarter by Sparrow to Fritsch. But Fritsch is now the perfect moving forward. It takes two to tango, and his ability to create the right lead, the right person, the right space to kick to is almost unparalleled in footy. I mean, boy, was he moving beautifully throughout the game. And we also have to give credit, of course, Oliver and Petrarca, brilliant getting the ball out of the middle. And the the Bulldogs, who had been leading the centre clearances, are now getting beaten. Six to two to Melbourne in that quarter. Four of them directly resulting in goals, Rowan. So, it's devastating and people point the finger rightly and say, how good are Petrarca and Oliver? But how about Luke Jackson? Because Gorn had moved forward and Jackson becomes not just a ruckman, but a big bodied midfielder. And he complements the other two brilliantly. Add Viney or Brayshaw and you've got devastation. And that's what happened. Yeah, great work from Luke Jackson in that third term. So, three-quarter time, Melbourne leading by 24 points, 12-11 after kicking seven goals, two in that third quarter. The Bulldogs, 9-5, a 24-point deficit. History tells you sides hardly ever come from behind to win grand finals, let alone from 24 points down. Could the Bulldogs conjure a miracle? Well, four goals down. Clearly, the Bulldogs are going to have to find something very quickly. Well, it wasn't a B. In fact, the Melbourne lead, it was extended to six goals within three minutes of the start of that quarter. That was another mark and goal to Ben Brown from only 20 metres out, a minute in, and Bailey Fritch, that man again, 40 metres out. He basically sealed this premiership win. But I say, Finey, when Ben Brown took that mark about a minute in, my mind went back with my supporters hat on to the 1985 grand final, which Essendon led Hawthorne by 30 points at three-quarter time. Um, Still thinking maybe Hawthorne could find something. And big Paul Salmon in that game took a mark in about the first minute of the quarter, kicked a goal, and he knew then 
it was done and dusted. And we pretty much knew this game was done and dusted after Brown and Fritch goal within three minutes, correct? Rowan, the way that third quarter ended, it was really like a boxer who'd been knocked to the canvas being saved by the bell at three-quarter time. He got back on his feet, of course, for the fourth quarter, but like the boxer who's already been felled, he was seeing stars and bulldogs, I think, were still mesmerised by what had happened previously and quickly put to the sword, as you say, by that Ben Brown mark and goal. This was a very... It was a definitive continuation of what we'd seen in the previous quarter and the Bulldogs had no answer, absolutely no answer, out of the middle and now defensively. Uh, and you could see the life start sagging out of them pretty quickly after those first two goals. Uh, after another five minutes, another goal to Alex Neil Bullen, another mark inside 50. Melbourne ended up with 17 marks inside 50. So pretty uh, strong forward performance by that whole group. Uh, Langdon, the next man to get on the board at 11 minutes 40. The lead now out to eight goals and clearly party time. Tom McDonald had been very, very quiet. He bobbed up with his first goal of the game, the lead out to 55 points. Western Bulldogs' sole response in a run of 17 goals was next and it was Adam Trelaw on the run. But still Melbourne kept coming. Another four goals slammed on. Christian Salem bouncing one through. Luke Jackson taking a mark, kicking a goal. Bailey Fritch with his sixth goal of the game. The first man to kick that many goals in the grand final since Darren Jarman in 1997 for Adelaide. And then Melbourne wouldn't even rest when the siren had gone. Tom McDonald after the bell, nailing his second goal for a crushing 74-point win for the Demons. The final scores, 21-14, 140, defeating the Western Bulldogs, 10-6-66. It was ugly stuff for the Dogs by the end of it, finally, and uh, not how their 2021 campaign would want to be remembered. Nor really did they deserve to be absolutely put to the sword, but that's what Melbourne did and Melbourne were beyond touching. In fact, in the first half, one of the frustrations for Melbourne going into halftime was inaccuracy. They couldn't miss in the second half. They were simply magnificent. And then, as you pointed out, set shots were going through over the umpire's cap and McDonald and Langdon, who'd been pretty quiet, finished the game off really strongly. Probably only Cozzy Pickett could say that he missed out on having a great game of footy. But you know what? He applied pressure and he was out there and he certainly made sure they made the grand final with some great late-season efforts. So this was a fantastic performance across the board. There was unfortunately no drama or no... Mis there was no mystery or no um, excitement in the announcement of the Norm Smith. So paralysing was Petrarca's performance. And just for the doggies, I think Bontempelli again, showed his great leadership and champion qualities. It was champion up against champion. We knew that with those two players. Petrarca wins out, and he had a pretty good guy running shotgun, Chris, uh, Clayton Oliver. So how about that for a double act? Well, one of the strongest Norm Smith medal-winning games uh, in memory. Uh, 15 votes 
uh, Christian Petrarca polled five out of five best on grounds from the Norm Smith medal judges. He ended up with a record equaling 39 disposals, 24 contested possessions, nine clearances and a couple of goals. What a game from him. Uh, Norm Smith voting. Bailey Fritch coming second with 10 votes after his six goals. Clayton Oliver third with three one votes. Great game from Oliver as per usual. 33 disposals there. Christian Salem getting one vote. And Caleb Daniel, the sole Bulldogs player to poll. He ended up with 37 disposals off half back. But just staggering stuff, finding a 40-point turnaround engineered by the Bulldogs after they trailed by 21 points, got out to a 19-point lead, and then a 93-point turnaround. In fact, Melbourne rattled on 16 goals, four, I think it was, 100 points to one goal, one, seven points in that amazing uh, quarter and a half of football. I doubt grand finals will ever see the like of it again. Rowan, this is in an era where scoring 100 points in a game is considered, first of all, a winning score, second of all, a bounty, and a really sort of a, a top-end scoring effort in a game. And we're talking about the last quarter and a half of a grand final. They scored 100 points. What does that translate to in the early 70s, right? Uh, probably 150. Uh, just incredible stuff, particularly coming in a grand final. Echoes of uh, that famous 1972 grand final and Carlton's demolition job on Richmond. Amazing stuff. And the siren sounded, uh, bringing to an end the 57-year premiership drought. Melbourne winning their 13th flag and their first since 1964. And we're going to have a bit of a chat now about what that means. Well, we really have seen some uh, droughts broken and fairy tales written in the last, uh, what, 15-odd years, haven't we, Finally, The Swans, of course, uh, Geelong, uh, the Western Bulldogs, Richmond, now Melbourne. Um, it really is an endorsement of the equalisation policies of the AFL. But just in terms of Melbourne, they went far off the pace last year, but nonetheless didn't make finals, finished ninth, there have been a couple of disappointing years since making it to the um, preliminary final in 2018. I don't think many people expected to see anything the likes of what they delivered in 2021. Did you? No, no. Uh, the most optimistic of Melbourne supporters, I think, saw them as a finalist and maybe even top four. But this team had for so long been mediocre, first of all, as a home and away team, but even as a finals team, rare bursts that have impressed, to be honest. Now, I just, it's, it's like there's a new reality in football because for my football following life, Melbourne has been a mediocre team with a not so passionate following. And, and it seemed as though a support, a group of supporters that were willing to accept a level of mediocrity that at other clubs was reason for revolt. Now, they had 12 premierships, but they were so long ago that there was barely any vision of them. And I, I just knew them as a historically strong team, but not a strong club. 
and they've set that to rights in one night. Two, I've seen them in two previous grand finals. They were terrible. They were so good in winning this premiership that they are now a serious football team that has wiped away those bad years almost with a single performance. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And, and we tend to, uh, with a grand final winner, particularly when it's won that emphatically, we tend to look at them and say, oh, you know, they're set up for a dynasty. But just having a think about it this morning, I think Melbourne has a lot going in its favour in terms of, uh, as Simon Goodwin likes to talk about, sustainable success. Um, you know, they're, they're still a relatively young list. They've got heaps of top-end talent. I mean, Petrarca, Oliver, just you know, two obvious examples of that early draft pick talent that has made them such a, a skillful team. Um, their pickups from other clubs have been astute. May and Lever, uh, the obvious examples of that. Um, they've got great role players. You know, that's been significant this year. The lesser lights in that team, and guys we never really talked about, have come in and played really important roles. And you're talking there about the likes of Spargo, um, Alex Neil Bullen. He's been really important for them this year. Uh, Trent Rivers has come into that side and done a terrific job off halfback. They seem to be able to bring these less heralded guys into the side now and they perform a job. And that is very reminiscent of what Richmond has done over the previous four years. And there's a bit of Richmond about them. Um, there's a bit of Geelong about them, I think, circa 2007. So this is a side that you think could be staying up near the top of the ladder for some time. Well, they certainly are leaving 2021 in a position to be, you know, kings for a few years. As you say, this was done on the back of, and we mentioned this about six weeks ago, didn't we? that that midfield boasts three of the best five or six players in the competition, Oliver, Petrarca and Gorn. And those players are in the absolute pomp of their careers and have three or four years of high productivity ahead of them before we even question whether or not they're coming off their best. So there's no reason why that can't be the catalyst to further success. The forward line, look, I'm really impressed by, say, what's going on quietly behind the scenes. Wiedemann re-signing, even though he didn't have a look in in the last couple of months, says that Melbourne, for the first time that I can remember, is a place that all the players want to be at. Doesn't that make a difference, Rowan? Because Melbourne has very much been the sort of um, club that has struggled to keep their champions and their champions have always attracted interest from stronger clubs, not anymore. And uh, absolutely. Uh, we should talk about the Western Bulldogs as well because they had a fantastic season. These uh, two sides occupied uh, top for 21 of 23 rounds. Uh, sometimes, and again, particularly in a heavy grand final loss, it can really uh, shake up a team. Look at GWS a couple of years ago. That really seemed to throw them off the radar for a season. Can the Bulldogs recover? Well, I think they can, firstly, because they've got a very, very good and astute coach in Luke Beveridge. But I don't think there's too many holes in that lineup. I think the one thing that was really obvious in the grand final was uh, the forward group. And they have been a high-scoring side, second-high-scoring side of the year but they just need one more key forward. Well, they've got him. They've got the number one draft pick 
in Jamara Eugle-Hagen. He's got a taste of it. I think next year's a year for him to really stand up and become a big part of that forward group. And I guess if he, given his age, but Josh Bruce had an outstanding season until he got injured. He was a major loss. So you add those two to the mix. And I think you're looking at a bulldog side that uh, is pretty well um, served in most areas of the ground. Maybe another key defender. That could be one area that needs a bit of bolstering still. But you've still got one of the deepest midfields of the competition. You've got a great coach. They play a good brand of footy. I don't think they've got too much to worry about, do you? How would you like to add the standout key forward from the upcoming national draft in Luke Darcy's son? Because he'll be going father and son to the Bulldogs to add to the bright future that the forward line has. I think there might be a couple of casualties from the grand final loss, though, Rowan. These heavy losses do tend to cause a fair bit of introspection. And I wonder whether Josh Dunkley's future at the club is assured. He's only He only signed on, I think, for... Or he was only signed up till the end of this season, I believe. So they're still going to work through whether or not he extends his contract. And I'm not sure that they will. I wouldn't be surprised if they might check the waters and see whether they can get something for Josh Dunkley. They'd also look to bolster that back line, as you said. Surprising that Hayden Crozier was not considered much this year. Maybe they look within as well and give him another opportunity. I think he's a pretty good player. Yeah, no, good observations. Uh, Dunkley, of course, uh, strongly courted by Essendon last off-season. So the Bombers uh, may look at, uh, see what's on his radar in terms of him heading to the hangout for 2022. But in summary, one side very well set up for a continued run at the top and the other side uh, shouldn't be too far off the pace either, you'd think, at this early stage. One last comment has to go to the coach, Simon Goodwin, who came into this season, probably is the favourite to be tipped out. As the coach most likely to get the boot, quiet performer, and you saw the absolute joy he shared with his coaching staff. Yeah, no, good good call. He uh, certainly was under a heap of pressure at the start of this year and answered in very emphatic fashion. Uh, lovely guy too, Simon Goodwin. So party congratulations to him. All right, that is the grand final wrapped up, both how it was played out and what it all means. That's not the end of the show, though, because we know you all came for one thing, and it's the rant off. On Footyology, the rant off. Well, a great premiership win to Melbourne, finally, but a lot of other discussion points around the grand final, uh, particularly exactly where it should be played. I've got a few little thoughts about that I'd like to share with our audience. Well, I know our audience loves it when Rowan gets going. So one, two, three, give it to them. I'm pissed off with Perth, Finey. Bloody upstarts waltz in and pinch our grand final and then start patting themselves on the back five seconds later about what a great job they've done with it. I mean, it was bad enough last year when Queensland staged just about the entire AFL season at the Gabba and Metricon Stadium, including the grand final. But at least then us Melburnians could still pat them on the head patronisingly and tell them what a great job they'd done for a little provincial backwater without a football heritage or tradition. 
But these West Australians reckon they know a thing or two about football. The cheek, just because they've produced some of the best players the game has seen, like Polly Farmer and Barry Cable, just because their own WAFL competition started in 1885, actually a dozen years before the VFL did, we've even had to put up with the Lord Mayor of Perth, the Honourable Basil Zemplis, trying to organise a standing ovation for the rest of the country at the 21-20 minute mark of the first quarter on Saturday night. What did happen to that? I think the backlash was so fierce it sort of fizzled out with embarrassment, proving that West Australians might actually have developed some taste and an ability to read the room as well over the last hundred odd years. Take note of that, Basil. Let's be honest, the West Aussies put on a pretty decent show too in their gee whiz stadium. The pre-game entertainment didn't suck for once and they got all the names right during the medal presentation. But now, finally, we've got a bigger problem. Two grand finals away from the MCG and it seems like the rest of the country is ganging up on us Melbournians and starting to agitate for the biggest game of the year to be played all over the place. Again, the cheek. So what if we've had a national competition for 30 years now and that nearly half the teams in it come from outside Victoria? So what if there's been at least one non-Victorian team in a grand final eight of the last 10 seasons? And so what if Adelaide finished on top in 2017, smashed Richmond during the season in Adelaide, then had to play them in the big one on the Tigers' home ground, despite being the highest qualified team? We're Melbourne. We've got the MCG. And we've got... No, that's all I've got, to be honest. No, no, hang on. We've got riots all over the CBD. We've got earthquakes. We've got the world's longest lockdown. And we've got a major newspaper basically trying to oust the government in a coup and install Andrew Bolt as Premier. We also have a rock-solid contract to play the grand final at the MCG to about 2098. Although we did manage to negotiate a way to have the last two grand finals elsewhere. Yes, extraordinary circumstances, but the way we're going, we're probably going to be dealing with another bubonic plague in a couple of years. So go easy on us, please, guys. We know we're a bit full of ourselves here, like to think we're the progressive capital of the country, home of the arts, sport, great coffee, and we look pretty stylish and hipster in black. But we're doing it tough right now. How about a bit of empathy? In fact, I've got a great idea, Fidey. Next time we do get to host the grand final, I'm calling on the whole Melbourne crowd to stand at the quarter time break, drop its pants and bear our asses in the direction of Perth. What a grand gesture that would be. We may not have much to boast about here right now, but no one will ever beat Melbourne for a sense of pissed off entitlement. Now, if we can just actually find a sporting event to host so we can prove it. Well, Rowan, I think you're starting to waver on that one. If I'm reading the tea leaves... You don't mind it being shared around. I don't, Fanny. And uh, for those that have trouble with the concept of sarcasm, that was sarcasm. Well, I have come around because we are a national competition. And ironically, these two played outside the G and both involved two Victorian teams. But I think that 2017 one particularly stuck in my craw a bit. And that's with all due respect to the Tigers. I just think if integrity is your uh, number one priority, um, it shouldn't be locked into the one venue. It's the hosting side that should have the advantage. However, uh, I know it's a bit of pie in the sky stuff, but you're going to keep hearing about it though, finally the agitation is growing. Where do you stand on it? Well, I just feel, look, I, I agree. In, in Out of fairness, there's no question that Adelaide-Richmond's grand final certainly 
bears close inspection. The team that finished on top has to go to another site's home ground. But the AFL are contractually obligated till after I die. So I'm not going to worry too much about it. All right. Well, I'm interested to hear what you've got for us. Plenty of uh, material to work with over the last week and lead up to a grand final. I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. Well, I enjoyed your rant, Rowan, and I certainly picked on, picked up on the fact that you noted how self-congratulatory WA has been with their staging of this year's grand final. I hope they're double-jointed because otherwise they'll have sore elbows and shoulders from patting themselves on the back for their pre-game entertainment, halftime entertainment and presentation of the greatest show on earth. Well, I tell you what, it wasn't. It was lame Despite the fact that they got some nice shots from the drone of that beautiful Optus Stadium, the rest of it fell flat. A few local bands singing cover versions prior to the game, an intra-club grand final sprint, and then at half-time, bird droppings of Tokyo whispering their songs whilst back alley fireworks are being let off that must have cost all of 75 bucks. No, WA doesn't understand how to put on a spectacle because when you get the chance to showcase your state, you need to showcase what's great about your state in entertainment form. And everybody knows WA and Perth in particular for one reason, colourful identities. It should have rolled like this, Rowan. The grand final sprint should have been an homage to Laurie Connell. It should have been rigged. The winner should have broken Usain Bolt's 100-metre record. The winner should have been unable to pull up. The winner should have then run 11 laps of Optus Stadium and dropped dead. There should have been a spectacular fight before the game. The Big Bang for Lang. Rose... Nautius Porteus versus Gina Hancock in the true battle, fisticuffs for Lang's fortunes. Enough sniping at each other from a distance. Here was a chance to actually lay fist on flesh. After the game, surely somewhere in WA, there is a short wombat-like man who could have been a perfect body double for Alan Bond because it should have been Alan Bond presenting the Noel Smith medal to Christian Palacco of the Melbourne Devils. That would have been a fitting way to celebrate this great game in WA. But the highlight for me would have been this. Imagine at halftime, the darkened stadium. It's completely black. And then a spotlight shines on Ben Cousins. Jailbreak by ACDC. WA connection there starts playing out and all of a sudden Cousins is jumping fences being chased by WA police he jumps a fence jumps a fence the WA police arrest an Aboriginal footballer and put him in prison but eventually they get to Cousins and they handcuff him and then illuminated a 500 WA school children holding their phones with the lights on to spell out Sachi's life. That would have been WA. That's your chance blown. And all you gave us 
was mediocre music and Basil Zemplis. Oh, angry stuff. And a big hello to our entire Western Australian audience who may have just turned off halfway through that. Uh, angry stuff, Viney, and a, a good history lesson too for our younger Perth uh, listeners too. Uh, you need to own your past people to be proud of who you are in the present and uh, that is a very good start certainly some colorful identities there and uh, Basil Zemplis perhaps occupying that um, no colorful I said sorry I'll have to think of another descriptor there but uh, big hello to the Lord Mayor of Perth uh, good stuff Fanny enjoyed it and uh, yes anyone listening to this is there anyone left who doesn't understand sarcasm uh, we actually think Perth did a fantastic job in hosting the grand final. So uh, well done to everyone over there. That's the end of our except, grand final. Except bird droppings of Tokyo. Except, no, not fine. He's not a fan of birds of Tokyo. I must say I like something uh, a little more uh, banging uh, type of music there. But uh, anyway, whatever floats your boat. I thought the pregame stuff was pretty reasonable, actually. That's it. That is the end of our grand final review episode. Again, uh, huge congratulations to the Melbourne Football Club breaking that 57-year premiership drought. Some big thank yous also, firstly, to Palmerbet, our official footyology podcast partners. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And our other wonderful sponsors, Finey. Big thank you to the boys at Andrews Hamburgers. I know that there are, I think there's um, some Hawk support there and even some local South Melbourne support, but not your year this year on the footy field, but certainly on the grill it was. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, premiers for burgers, Andrew's hamburgers, and for the absolute kings of house renos and house rebuilds, it's our men, Nick Spartels and the team at West Point Properties, you've also hoisted another Premiership Cup, boys. And a big thank you also to Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business, working with more than 15 sports across the globe and sampling an event 10,000 times to best understand the range of possible and probable outcomes. Some wonderful reading on their website as well. All free to use. Check it out, statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter. At Stats Insider, you can also become an official footyology patron and we want to keep this operation going after a pretty good year, I reckon. Uh, become an official footyology patron by clicking on one of the Patreon links on the footyology website, footyology.com.au. For $7 Australian a month, you become an official footyology patron and ensure that this wonderful content provided by two uh, rambling middle-aged men continues. No, no, I'm just uh, it's a bit of self-deprecation there, but we are grateful for your support. So thanks everyone for tuning in this season. The good news is we're not going away. We're going to keep this little podcast going with our summer editions. We are going to have a bit of a break though, probably just a week at this stage. So make sure you tune in shortly, but uh, let's all have, a week or so to gather our thoughts after what has been a very full and eventful footy season. Once again, thanks to your company. Uh, well done, Melbourne. Commiserations to the Western Bulldogs. We'll catch you later.